on with our top ten, the top ten of the top ten, top ten of the Ten Commandments. I know a lot of you are going back to school here in just a little bit. You're going to finish exams. Some of you are just coming back from school. Some of you are here in the next next few years headed to college. Uh, let me give you the top ten ways to make your college application stand out. Number ten, address the envelope to the very handsome dean of admissions. Number nine, every fifth word make it heretofore. All right. Number number eight, include a very well lit photograph of your brain. Number seven, mention you love sleeping in bunk beds. Number six, lots of glitter. Can't go wrong with glitter. Number five, include a moist towelette with your application. And number four, instead of ink, use delicious butterscotch. Number three, if you've been to space, mention that you've been to space. Number two, personally give it to the dean at home in the middle of the night. And the number one way to make your college admissions application stand out, and that part that says for office use only, put accept. We have enjoyed our mothers today, our wives today, and um, I hope that uh, each of you um, had a good meal and, and a good time and are relaxed. And now we're going to settle down and we're going to study God's Word just for a, just for a minute more. Uh, the U version. If you've got that going on, if you've got that app going on in your in your telephone, uh, you can follow the scriptures along with the U version Bible app. Uh, and uh, the the question today, the poll question today, I want to I want to tell you the results of that poll question so far. You can go and, and vote still. It's a live it's a live activity until Wednesday night, I believe. I leave it open until Wednesday night at midnight. But your top ten. Uh, uh, what I wanted was what you thought your top ten of the top tens that we've talked about. You can go on, the, on, on that app and look at that. But I asked the question, what would you like to have at the courthouse? What would you like to see at the courthouse? You know, there for a long time, uh, we would, people would try to put the Ten Commandments or they would try to put something at the courthouse. And you would always have somebody blocking that, you know, some, some uh, atheist or somebody blocking that. And, and wouldn't allow that to be to be at the courthouse. Well, what would you like to have at the courthouse? If you could, if you could get a monument and you could set it in front of the courthouse, would you do the Ten Commandments? Would you do the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter five, or would you do the Christian graces in Second Peter chapter one, uh, verses five through eleven? And sixty-seven uh, percent of those who voted here at Fountainhead said that they would like to have the Ten Commandments at the courthouse. That's, that kind of surprised me. 33% um, said they would like to have the fruits of the Spirit on a plaque in front of the courthouse. I, you know, the fruits of the Spirit, you know, if you look in Galatians chapter 5, beginning about verse 22, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, against such there is no law, right? Uh, as opposed to the Ten Commandments where the fourth of the Ten Commandments, we don't even, as Christians, don't even follow anymore. You know, so I kind of like to rather have the, the Christian graces or add to your faith, goodness, to your goodness, knowledge, to your knowledge, self-control, to your self-control, perseverance, to your perseverance, godliness, 
tell you, God and this brotherly kindness, to your brotherly kindness, love. I'd like, I'd like to have those on a plaque in, in front of the courthouse more than I would the Ten Commandments. Uh, the thing about our poll is it doesn't tell me how many people are voting. So it might be just three of you out there, and two of you want to have the Ten Commandments, and only one of you. See, I have to buy the, the, uh, the, the pro version of the U version if I want to have the exact number of people that are voting, all right? That's how they get you, I guess, on, on that. But it's still interesting. Interesting to see. Zero percent voted for Second Peter. Zero percent voted for that. And again, you can go in there for, for with prayer requests as well. If you'd like, if you have a prayer request, we've got a couple of prayer requests uh, this morning. We're going to be. Uh, if you if you have nothing to do on, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, you can come up here and we pray on those mornings. And we would love to pray with you and for you. And and uh, if you have somebody that you would like to bring up in prayer, we 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 pray for those folks and we can pray for them. If you would like, uh, if the old covenant <clears throat> had been faultless, Hebrews chapter eight verses six and seven, there would have been no reason for a second covenant. It was prophesied in Jeremiah that a new covenant would be made, and this is quoted. And, and read with me again as we look at the top ten of the Ten Commandments. It was prophesied in Jeremiah that a, a new covenant would be made. Uh, if you have your handout that I gave you this morning, uh, turn there. If you don't have your handout, turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning with verse 8. The Hebrew writer, he quotes Jeremiah uh, that a new covenant would be made. And it, it says, because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and Write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away, and it has vanished away. The old law has vanished away. Jesus didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill the law. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. And when Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, he was buried in a tomb, and he rose on the third day, the Old Testament law, it became obsolete. It was nailed to the cross. Romans chapter 10, verse 4, Christ was the end of the law for believers. Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, the law, including the Ten Commandments, was taken out of the way and it was, as we've just said, nailed to the cross. And today Christians are not under the Old Testament law and we're not obligated to keep the Old Testament law. Paul uses the analogy of a marriage in Romans chapter 7. We talked about that this morning as well. Where, you know, if you were married to a husband and he died... Well, you're no longer married to him. You don't have to stay married to the dead man. You can remarry. Now, 1 Corinthians uh, says that you marry in the Lord, but you can remarry. And that's what's happened with the old law and the new law. We're dead to the law so that now we're married to Christ. And you go to Ephesians chapter 5 and you, you understand that we're the bride, the church is the bride, and Christ is the bridegroom. Today in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 21, we are under Christ's law. And 
those who desire to hang on to any part of the old law, and I have friends who do that. They desire to hang on to the, to the old law and, and parts of the old law. Well, the, the Bible says that they, 1 Corinthians 9.21, have fallen from grace. They are estranged from Christ. It's like you would have an estranged husband or an estranged wife. You become estranged as a child of God from Christ, Jesus. And while we're not under the old law, we can learn so much, though, about God and about His mind and and what He wants for us, how He treats those who obey Him, and well, also how He treats those who don't obey Him. As I've said, we're not left without a law. The the New Testament commands uh, give greater force. They give greater force and clarity to the Ten Commandments that we have been looking at today. Let's see how, as we look at the top ten of these of these next commandments, how that we, how they could, we should view them as, as Christians, as Christians today. Uh, our first one that we left off with, you know, we've already seen that we should have no other gods before God. We should make and worship no graven image or take God's name in vain. Uh, the Sabbath day was nailed to the cross and is not brought over into the New Testament as a command for Christians. We looked at that. And we were also told, and it's a command for, for children today, that we are to honor our father and our mother. And now the top ten of the next ten commandments, starting with, You shall not murder. It wasn't Cain who killed first. Satan has been a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said in John chapter 8. Verse 44, as we've said, the Ten Commandments are not just brought over into the New Testament. They are given much more force and and greater clarity. The Old Testament said, don't murder. The New Testament says, don't murder and don't even be angry with your brother. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, whoever hates his brother. Now get that now. I I I mean, this is getting... Zeroed in, a laser-guided bomb right here for all of us as Christians. First John chapter 3, verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. The source of murder and anger and hate, well, it's, it's the heart. It's a work of the flesh. From the heart comes, comes rash anger. In 1 Samuel 18... Everybody was singing David's praises. Oh, David, Saul, he's killed his thousands, but David, he's killed his ten thousands. And they they were just singing his praises. Boy, it made Saul mad. It made Saul angry. He let his hate, anger become hate to the point that Saul took the spear that was in his hand and he threw it at David, intent on pinning the boy to the wall. Jealousy and envy, they'll, they'll kill you. Or they might get somebody else killed. Job chapter 5, verse 2. And, and, and a, you know, a sneakier version. There's a sneakier version to hate. Do you know what that sneakier version to hate, hate and anger is? Do you know what it is? It, it's indifference. Where you just don't care about someone. We see that uh, of the rich man who, who, who went to torment in Hades in Luke chapter 16. He went to torment in Hades and he wanted just some water just to, just to dip it and put it on the tip of his tongue. He was, he was in such agony and torment. 
all because of his indifference to the beggar Lazarus at his gate. Remember, we talked about not taking an oath. Well, in Acts chapter 23, verse 12, it shows how an oath can lead to hatred and murder by, by swearing you're going to get even. I'm going to get even with such and such. Matt and I, we heard a story this past week about some people who were swearing. They, I, it made Portland, it made, uh, it made New Deal sound like the Wild West, didn't it, Matt? I mean, people were, I'm going to get you if it's the last thing I do. Pointing guns at each other and threatening to kill each other, swearing they were going to kill each other. It's not just then, it's now too. In, in uh, Acts chapter 23, verse 12, it talks about the Jewish leaders who swore that they, they wouldn't eat nor drink until they killed Paul. We're not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. You know, I wonder how long that took before they started eating and drinking again. See, that oath becomes meaningless. And so we shouldn't swear by God, as, as we talked about this morning, or, or anything. That our yes be yes and our no, no. The future of a murderer... And those who harbor anger and bitterness in their heart is Revelation 21.8. Revelation 21.8. They will go to hell. Murderers will. But the best way to avoid this is to love your enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Pat, you told me this when you first came here about six years ago, that the best way not to hate somebody is to pray for them. Because when you pray for them, they... Stop becoming your enemy. You can't, you, can't, you can't pray for somebody that you just truly hate. We need to pray for them. We need to love our enemies. Matthew 5, 44. Bless and pray for them. Become all things. 1 Corinthians 9, 22. Become all things to all men to save all. No, we won't be able to save them all. But we can save some. We can save some. Now, a most misunderstood command that's written with the Ten Commandments and is, and is carried over into the New Testament is you shall not commit adultery. It's a very misunderstood command in our 21st century world that we live in. The command in American vernacular is this. The command is to not cheat on your spouse. There it is. That's what adultery is. It's cheating on your spouse. That's, I mean, I didn't stutter, did I, Billy Joe? I didn't stutter. I think I said that pretty plain. The command to not cheat on your spouse, it's designed not to punish everybody, but it's designed to protect marriage. If you look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage between a man and a woman is honorable among all. Let me be clear. If you're having sex outside of your marriage or marriage period, the sins you are guilty of are adultery and fornication. And they are grievous sins. The punishment command for Adulterers in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10 is death. We would have piles of rocks in American society, wouldn't we? That was the same punishment today. We would just have piles of rocks standing on every street corner, wouldn't we? If we had to be able to carry out that command. 
It happens all the time. If you watch the ID channel, Savannah and I, sometimes we watch the ID channel together. Uh, Brother Shockley, you'd say we were barring trouble, you know, by, <laughs> by watching some of those shows. You know, some people can get their lives in such a mess, you know. And, and I, I don't think death deters some people, do they, Savannah? They, death, doesn't, death doesn't deter people, some people from cheating. I mean, even if they knew that the woman uh, or the, 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 the wife or the husband would kill them if they got caught, they're going to cheat. A great example that we've studied that all of us can follow is, is Joseph. We've studied about Joseph and how, how a good man he was. His, his master's wife, basically, she just up and said, I want you to have sex with me. He wouldn't do it. Joseph refused because... He was moral. You know, even though he had never been given the Ten Commandments and he had never been given the command, Thou shalt not commit adultery. He didn't, he didn't have that command written down for him that he could go to and say, Oh, okay, I shouldn't commit adultery. He was a moral man and God is the God of morality. And even today, people who don't believe in the Bible think it's a shame and wrong. And they might kill you if they if you cheat on them with their wife or their husband. Because God is the God of morality. And Joseph knew that. We can follow Joseph's way of thinking. Joseph knew that sleeping with his boss's wife was wrong. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, adultery starts in the eyes. It starts in the eyes. And that's why it's so important that we as parents try to keep our young people off that Internet and the, the, the nasty stuff that you can get into. I mean, there are some just flat-out nasty things that our children can see. And it scares me all the time because that's where it starts. It starts with the eyes. And it goes down into the heart. And their heart is trained, it says. It's heart, their heart is trained. Their heart is trained to be an adulterer. If, if we allow our children, if, if men, if we allow ourselves to sit and watch pornographic movies or triple X websites, if we continue to allow ourselves to do that, we are training ourselves to be adulterers. <laughs> Jesus takes it even. even Laser guided more, doesn't he? If you even lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Matthew five twenty seven, if you even look in lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And Matthew five thirty two, whoever gets a divorce except for sexual immorality and marries another, they commit adultery. And see that's that's confusing for some folks in our society today, but I think it's very plain. I think the Bible bears it out very well. 1 Corinthians 7, verse, verse 2 through 5. For the married, if you're married, sex is good. And you're supposed to have sex. We're supposed to have sex. The married are not to deprive each other of sex, it says there, unless they both consent not to. They both have to consent. There's, there's also a spiritual adultery. I didn't put this in your handout, but if you'll turn to James chapter 4, verse 4, maybe write that on your handout. I, I failed to get that one in. 
after I'd printed it, I, I, I made that mistake. I found I'd made that mistake. James chapter 4, verse 4, James says that when we leave God and we make friends with the world, he calls those people he was writing to adulterers and adulteresses. That's what they're called. Because we're, we're cheating on God by, by loving on the world. If you can look at it that way. When we leave God to make friends with the world, Jeremiah, he calls that backsliding. Backsliding. Just like we'll see Israel do. We're going to see them as we're studying through the, the, the rest of Exodus. We're going to see them over and over and over again. Leave God for, for somebody else. You, you young people, y'all talked about the golden calf. I mean, they had just heard God's thundering and saw His lightning in the smoke over Mount Sinai. And they knew Moses was up there and Moses was speaking for God. And yet they built a golden calf. What's our golden calf? What's our golden calf? What have we built in our lives that it's, it's, well, it's keeping us from God? If we don't watch out, we can commit spiritual adultery by leaving God. Many have left God. They've left His truth. And whether it's physical or spiritual adultery, the adulterer must be disciplined. They must be disciplined. I'm sorry I didn't turn to the next screen there. They must be disciplined. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, it talks about a fellow who had his, his uh, he, he was married to his father's wife, his stepmother. And Paul said this was a shame. This was awful. He said even the Gentiles don't do this kind of thing. And here y'all are just welcoming him and keeping him in the church. And y'all are saying, y'all are basically acting like everything's all right. Let me tell you, you know, when we have unrepented of sin, we should mourn. I have a good friend. He doesn't live in Portland. He doesn't go to this congregation, okay? He's a good friend of mine. And I just told him yesterday, I texted him, I'm praying for you. And he texts me back, wow. I was at a fish fry, and I was really missing her. Thank you so much. He misses his wife. She's left him for multiple men. And he mourns for her. And he told me the other day, he said, why does everybody just want this to be okay? Why does everybody want me and her just to get along for the sake of the children? Why wasn't she thinking about the sake of the children before she left? He hurts all the time. He mourns for his wife. And this is what he wants me to pray for her. This is, I know you don't know who this is, but I want you to pray for this lady tonight. You don't know her name. But I want you to pray that her life is horrible. Why would I do that? Why would you, want, why would you pray for somebody's life to be horrible? So that she'll come back to God. We should mourn when people leave God and go off into the world and become not just physical but spiritual adulterers and adulteresses. That should hurt us down to our very core. So you pray for that woman to have a hard life because she'll go back to her husband. That's what he wants. When we have those unrepented of sins, we should mourn. And we've, hey, 
We've got to purge, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, we've got to purge the leaven out of the lump. You know, when we sin sexually, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, we sin against our own body. And again, there's no heaven for those who will not repent of adultery and fornication. <clears throat> you shall not steal. You shall not steal. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 We're supposed to work. Henry Ford said, those who benefit man work. Work is one of the four ways to legally get money. Did you know there are only a certain few amount of ways that you can acquire money legally? Genesis 23, verse 13, Abraham, he wants to buy a field. Ephron, he wants to give it to Abraham. Now, Abraham could have acquired it by Ephron giving it to him. It was Ephron's to give, and so Abraham could have acquired it if he'd let Ephron give. That's one way you can have it give to you. But he didn't want to do that. He, he, wanted, to, he wanted to buy it. So he sells it to Abraham. That's, that's, how, you, that's how you acquire things. You, you, you either work for it or you buy it. Ezekiel 46, verse 18, it highlights an instance of inheritance. You can inherit money. You can inherit stuff. That's another way you can legally obtain things. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, they can be a gift as, as those uh, churches gave a gift to Paul. Don't take what's not yours. I used to watch that show Cops. I hadn't watched the show Cops in, in forever. But I remember, uh, uh, I may have told you all of this before, one that stuck with me, uh, uh, a sting operation. And they had a $1,400 mountain bike sitting out in front of this, this shop on this busy city street. All right? Now, anything over $800 was grand theft larceny or something like that. You know, it was a big-time deal. And they had this bike just leaned over on a pole. And people in this neighborhood, they were walking by it, and they were looking at it. They'd walk by, and they'd look at it. And they, had a, they had the camera on them. They'd walk by and look at it. And finally, one boy, he'd get on it, and he'd just start riding off. Boom, those cops were on him. They'd tackle him and knock him down. And this one fellow said, and I'll never forget it, he, he said, but it was just leaning up against the pole. And the cop said, but it's not yours. It's not yours. I don't care if it is sitting out in the middle of the street. It's not yours. Leave it alone. The main motive for theft is, well, it's, it's love of money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, which is the root of all evil, love of money. It's the root of all evil. We become envious, Proverbs 23, verse 17. We want what others have. We become lazy, Proverbs 13, verse 4. And we still want what others have. And we become greedy, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 9. And we still want what others have, so we take and we take and we still want and we still want and we take and we take. We can even rob God. We can. We can rob God. Have you ever robbed God? Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. We rob God when we don't give as we should. When we don't give as we've prospered, we rob God. 
How much, Matthew 16, verse 26, how much is our soul worth? How much is it? Is it worth a bicycle? Is it worth money? Any amount of money? Is it worth prestige and honor and, and promotions? There's a lot of things we can steal. Is it worth all of your time? Don't lie now. Don't lie. You shall not lie. <laughs> the uh, bear false witness is part of the ten, but like I said, it's given even more force and more clarity in the, in the New Testament. Uh, to, to you know, bearing false witness against somebody—that's lying against somebody. And, and and but it just basically boils down to all lies, all lie. And in, in fact, the psalmist wrote Psalm one sixteen verse eleven that all are liars. All of us lie. When we lie or hate, we're of our father the devil because, we go back to John chapter 8 verse 44 again, uh, those are his desires for us. That's what our father the devil, if we're liars, he's our father. God's not our father, the devil's our father when we lie. God hates liars. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 so do I, don't you? Don't you hate a liar? Don't you hate a liar? I mean, I almost rather you steal from me than lie from me. Lie to me. It's, it's hard to trust a liar, isn't it? Especially when you catch him in a lie. Exodus 20, verse 16, lying is bearing false witnesses, I've said. And Revelation, Revelation, 21 8, 21-8, liars go to hell, liars go to hell, burn, 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 burn. Y'all heard that before, haven't you? You've heard that. Y'all sing that at Bethany, don't you? No? Revelation 21.8, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's preaching... Hellfire and brimstone, that's a hellfire and brimstone sermon right there. There you go. If you lie, you'll spend the rest of your eternity in a lake that burns with fire and brimstone, the second death. Any lies you want to repent of right now? In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, you remember them, they owned a parcel of land and they sold it but what they did was they kept back part of the price that they got for it and only gave part of it to the apostles and laid it at their feet. And here's the problem with that. The problem with that was that what they laid at the apostles' feet, they made it out to be like that was all. And they lied about it. They lied about it. And so the apostles said, while it was yours, you could do what you wanted to with it. Now you've lied about it, and you will die right now. And, and the man died. And his wife came in, and he said, was that, and the apostles asked her, is that what you got? Is that the price you got for the land? Oh, yeah, that's the price. And she died right there, and they carried, carried them both out. That's lying. In, in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, he arrogantly lies and makes himself out to be bigger than God. And you know what God does to him? He makes him act like a cow. He has to go out into the field and he eats grass like a cow eats grass. 
Matthew 26, verse 73. Peter is fearful that he'll be punished for knowing Jesus. So, so fearful that he lied and he cussed. And he said, I don't know the man. Titus chapter 1, verse 12. Liars are evil and lazy. In Matthew 22, verse 23, the Sadducees, they didn't know the truth and still taught a lie. And Jesus told them they were wrong and they believed wrong. Did you know that? You can, you can, you know, you don't have to just say, uh, Matt, your shirt's red. That would be a lie, wouldn't it? That'd be a lie. If, I, if y'all looked at me, if y'all looked at Matt and said, Chad, his shirt's not red. Oh, yeah, it's red. I was taught from little bitty that that color's red. <laughs> his, his, his shirt's going to be blue no matter what I say. But we can believe a lie so much that we can tell it and we can deceive others to the point where some of y'all will say, well, yeah, I guess maybe it is got a little red in it. <laughs> I guess it does have a little red. If you know the truth but tell a lie, you're a liar. If you don't know the truth and tell a lie, you're ignorant and mistaken. But a lie is still a lie. Folks can be condemned because of your lie or, or misunderstanding. The last of the top ten of the ten, you shall not covet. Covetousness is something we must put away from us. Colossians 3, verse 5. Covetousness is, is a yearning. It's a desire. It's a craving to have and possess something that you don't have to the point that you'll do anything to get it. 1 Samuel 25 is a fascinating story about Nabal and, and David and Abigail. Nabal was very wealthy. He was also very greedy and he was very arrogant. And he refused David. David wanted him to make a meal for him and his, and his, his little army that David had. And Nabal, Nabal refused. Who's David? Who's Jesse, the son of Jesse, that I should make a feast for him and spend my money on him? And so David was going to send an army and destroy Nabal for what... Nabal had said, but Abigail, the wife of Nabal, he kept, he kept David from, from harming her husband. And, and when Nabal died, David took Abigail as his wife. In Acts chapter 5 is, is another amazing story, of, as we've talked about, of Ananias and Sapphira who lied and were greedy. And they coveted their own land. They were coveting their own land. They, they died for their sin. Another rich man in Luke chapter 12, he coveted his own stuff. He built bigger barns. He didn't, you know, he's, he's not like, I'm going to give some of this away. No, he, he built bigger barns and put his, he coveted his own stuff. He coveted it so much that that night his soul was required of him. One more example, the example of, uh, of Judas. The example of examples, isn't it? Who coveted wealth. He coveted wealth, he coveted money so much in Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 and 15 that he sold out Jesus for just a few pieces of silver. The main cause of covetousness is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, that we love ourselves a little too much. Well, maybe a lot too much. It is the wicked who boast about all the stuff they want and they're going to get, Psalm 10, verse 3. The cure is easy. The cure for covetousness is easy, uh, easy to say, maybe harder to do. Romans chapter 13, verse 9, the cure for, for, uh, for all of God's laws, really, 
If you break all of God's laws, is love. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, if we're going to covet anything, we should earnestly desire the best. And the best, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is love. If we're going to covet anything, we should covet love. We must love or be lost. When we love God, we know God. When we love each other, we obey God, and we love God, and we know God. It's just a circle of love that keeps on going, keeps on blessing. It's a big circle of love, and we've seen and heard God's commands. Now, I want to look at ourselves just again, just a moment again. Some of you have these pieces of paper in front of you. You have these pieces of paper in front of you, and I, I want you to look at them. I want you to look at them. Like I said, I've, uh, the sermon is concluded. I wanted the sermon to be about the Ten Commandments and how we as Christians could take something from the Ten Commandments and bring it into our lives and show how the New Testament shows the Ten Commandments with more force and more clarity. Okay, So that, that sermon is over. It's done. It's, in, it's, it's on the tape and you can listen to it. I just want to settle down just a minute. And I want us to look at ourselves now, just for a moment. Do you know what the gospel is? Now, I don't see anybody in here that wasn't here. This I see a few, and I know y'all, I know you, and I know y'all know what the gospel is. I do. And I told y'all what the gospel was this morning. Those of you who are here, y'all heard what the gospel was. And so what I want to ask you now is, have you obeyed it yet? And I hadn't baptized anybody today. Matt, have you baptized anybody? Brother Shockley, you put anybody in the water today? No. That's how you obey the gospel. And there's some of you in here that need to obey the gospel. Do you need prayer? We had one come this morning who needed prayer. We prayed for her and loved on her. She knows that she's loved. She, she can never say that she was never loved. And if you come down, if you need prayer, you're having a hard time with a certain instance in your life, or, or maybe you've sinned, you know, the next question is, do you know of someone who needs prayer, or would you like to study the Bible more, or do you publicly need to confess a sin that, that's already known to many? You know, if you, if you have a sin that's in your life that's, that's only known to you, and God, maybe, it's the, maybe it's the sin of, 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 of fornication in that you've been watching pornography. Maybe that's, maybe that's your problem. And that's between you and God. And we don't know anything about it. You don't have to come forward about that. You can go to God. And if you're a Christian, 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, if you go to God, he, he's, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin if you confess it to Him and repent of it. But if, if you know, you might need more help. And the, and the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James says. And so you can, you can come forward and we can pray with you. We can pray for you if you need help. If you know of someone who needs prayer. Like I said, I was given some names this morning. Nobody put it on the U version, I don't think, yet. I haven't gotten anything yet, but it might be coming here pretty soon. If you know of someone who needs prayer or you know someone who would like to study the Bible more, maybe you would like to study the Bible more. Maybe you've heard some things here like, wow, I didn't know that. I'd like to study that a little more. Hey, we have great Bible studies and great Bible study teachers who would love to get with you. I would. I would love to sit down with you one-on-one and we can go through the Scriptures and find out exactly what God's plan 
for your life is. We want to do that. I want you to make that known if you don't mind. And the last one here is, are you worried about your salvation? There are a lot of you who have come to me before and said when you were younger that you didn't think you were baptized correctly or that you can't remember it. You were baptized so young or whatever and you just really don't think you were baptized and, and so you, you would like to be baptized. And, and we've done that. We've done that for folks here. There's been quite a few folks who, as Billy Joe says, they weren't baptized again. They were baptized for the first time, weren't they? Yeah. We don't count that other time because you really didn't know what you were doing. And that's why you're worried about your salvation. And so if there's anybody here that would like to, like to be sure about their salvation, they most certainly can be. If there's anybody here that can't answer the question to the affirmative, if Jesus Christ came back right now, would I know for sure, nothing doubting, that I'd go to heaven? I can say yes. Can you? I can say yes. How about you? 1 John chapter 5, verse, verse 13, I know that I have eternal life. And you can know that too. Won't you come right now as together we stand and sing?